Welcome to the Right Brain Podcast with me, Leela Krishna. This week and for a few subsequent weeks, you'll be listening to me reading Ananda Mott, the seminal novel by Bankim Chandra Chatterjee. Ananda Mott is set in the year 1770 in the backdrop of the Bengal famine. It is inspired by the events of the Sanyasi Rebellion, where monks protested against the British for exacting pilgrimage taxes. This book was written in 1882, was banned by the British and went on to spark the Indian independence movement. It is also where the national song Vande Mataram comes from. This novel was translated into English from the original Bengali by the great revolutionary and saint Sri Aurobindo Ghosh and his brother Barun Ghosh. I read this book in college and didn't really appreciate it. Now that I'm a writer myself and researching the history of India between 1857 and 1920, this novel is much more significant to me. The author Bankim Chandra worked as a bureaucrat for the British Indian government and wrote a series of great novels on the side. More impressive is that he rose through the ranks while still clashing heavily with his superiors for his stance on Indian independence. Ananda Mott has been made into movies in Bengali and Hindi and continues to be widely read and debated in India. I found there's no audiobook version of this wonderful work and here I am recording it. I hope you enjoyed listening to this work as much as I enjoyed reading it. It was a summer day of the year 1770. The glare and heat of the sun lay very heavy on the village of Porochina. The village was crowded with houses, yet there was not a man to be seen. Line upon line of shops in the bazaar, row upon row of booths in the mart, hundreds of earthen houses interspersed with stone mansions high and low in every quarter. But today all was silent. In the bazaar, the shops are closed and where the shopkeeper has fled, no man can tell. It is market day today, but in the mart there is no buying and selling. It is the beggar's day, but the beggars are not out. The weaver has shut up his loom and lies weeping in his house. The trader has forgotten his traffic and weeps with his infant in the lap. The givers have left giving and the teachers have closed their schools. The very infant, it would seem, has no longer the heart to cry out loud. No wayfarers are to be seen on the highways, no bathers in the lakes, no human forms at door and threshold, no birds in the trees, no cattle in the pastures, only in the cremation ground dog and jackal crowd. In that crowded desolation of houses, one huge building whose great fluted pillars could be seen from afar, rose glorious as the peak of a hill and yet where was the glory the doors were shut the house empty of the hushed and voiceless difficult even to the entry of the wind in a room within this dwelling even noon was a darkness in that darkness like a pair of lilies flowering in the midnight a wedded couple sat and thought straight in front of them stood famine The harvest of the year 1768 had been poor. Consequently, in the year 1769, rice was a little dear. The people suffered, but the government exacted its revenues to the last fraction of a farthing. As a result of this careful reckoning, the poor began to eat only once a day. 
The rains in 1769 were copious and people thought heaven had taken pity on the land. Joyously once more the herdsman sang his ditty in the fields. The tiller's wife again began to tease her husband for a silver bracelet. Suddenly in the month of Ashwin, heaven turned away its face. In Ashwin and Karthik, not a drop of rain fell. The grain in the fields withered and turned to straw as it stood. Wherever a year or two flourished, the officials bought it for the troops. The people no longer had anything to eat. First they stinted themselves of one meal in the day. Then even from their single meal they rose with half-filled stomachs. Next, the two meal times became two fasts. The little harvest reaped in Chaitra was not enough to fill the hungry mouths. But Muhammad Reza Khan, who was in charge of the revenues, thought fit to show himself off a loyal servant and immediately enhanced the taxes by 10%. Throughout Bengal arose a clamor of great weeping. First people began to live by begging, but afterwards who could give alms? They began to fast. Next, they fell into the clutch of disease. The cow was sold, plough and yoke were sold, the seed rice was eaten, hearth and home were sold. Land and goods were sold. Next, they began to sell their girls. Afterwards, they began to sell their boys. After that, they began to sell their wives. Next, girl, boy or wife, who would buy? Purchasers, there were none, only sellers. For want of food, men began to eat the leaves of trees. They began to eat grass. They began to eat weeds. The lower castes and the forest men began devouring dogs, mice and cats. Many fled, but those who fled only reached some foreign land to die of starvation. Those who remained ate uneatables or subsisted without food till disease took hold of them and they died. Disease had its day. Fever, cholera, consumption, smallpox. The virulence of smallpox was especially great. In every house, men began to perish of disease. There was none to give water to his fellow, none who would touch him, none to treat the sick. Men would not turn to care for each other's sufferings, nor was there any to take up the corpse from where it lay. Beautiful bodies lay rotting in wealthy mansions. For where once the smallpox made its entry, the dwellers fled from the house and abandoned the sick man in their fear. Mohindra Singha was a man of great wealth in the village of Podachina. But today, rich and poor were on one level. In this time of crowding afflictions, his relatives, friends, servants, maidservants had all been seized by disease and gone from him. Some had died, some had fled. In that once peopled household, there was only himself, his wife and one infant girl. This was the couple of whom I spoke. The wife, Kalyani, gave up thinking and went to the cow shed to milk the cow. She warmed the milk, fed her child and went again to give the cow its grass and water. When she returned from her task, Mohindra said, How long can we go on this way? Not long, answered Kalyani. As long as we can. So long as possible, I will keep things going. Afterwards, you and the girl can go to the town. Mohindra, if we have to go to the town in the end, why should I inflict this trouble on you at all? Come, let us go at once. After much arguing and contention between husband and wife, Kalyani said, Will there be any particular advantage in going to the town? Mohindra, 
Very possibly that place too is as empty of men and empty of means of subsistence as we are here, Kalyani. If you go to Murshidabad, Kasim Bazar or Calcutta, you may save your life. It is in every way best to leave this place. Mahindra answered, this house has been full for many years of the gathered wealth of generations. All this will be looted by thieves. Kalyani, if thieves come to loot it, shall we too be able to protect this treasure? If life is not saved, who will be there to enjoy? Come, let us shut up the whole place this very moment and go. If we survive, we can come back and enjoy what remains. Will you be able to do the journey on foot? asked Mahendra. The palanquin bearers are all dead. As for cart or carriage, where there are bullocks, there is no driver. And where there is a driver, there are no bullocks. Kalyani. Oh, I shall be able to walk. Do not fear. In her heart, she thought, even if she fell and died on the way, these two at least would be saved. The next day at dawn, the two took some money with them, locked up room and door, let loose the cattle, took the child in their arms and set out for the capital. At the time of starting, Mahendra said, The road is very difficult. At every step, decades and highwaymen are hovering about. It is not well to go empty-handed. So saying, Mahendra returned to the house and took from it musket, shot and powder. When she saw the weapon, Kalyani said, since you have remembered to take arms with you, hold Sukumari for a moment. I too will go bring a weapon with me. With the words, she put her daughter into Mahindra's arms and in her turn entered the house. Mahindra called after her. Why? What weapon can you take with you? As she came, Kalyani hid a small casket of poison in her dress. Fearing what fate may befall her in these days of misfortune, she had already procured and kept the poison with her. It was the month of Jeshta. A savage heat, the earth as if aflame, the wind scattering fire, the sky like a canopy of heated copper, the dust of the road like sparks of fire. Kalyani began to perspire profusely. Now resting under the shade of a barbler tree, now sitting in the shelter of a date palm, drinking the muddy water of dried ponds, with great difficulty she journeyed forward. The girl was in Mohindra's arms and sometimes he fanned her with his robe. The two refreshed themselves, seated under the boughs of a creeper-covered tree, flowering with odorous blooms and dark-hued with dense, shade-giving foliage. Mohindra wondered to see Kalyani's endurance under fatigue. He drenched his robe with water from a neighbouring pool and sprinkled it on his and Kalyani's face and forehead. Kalyani was a little cold and refreshed, but both of them were distressed with great hunger. That could be borne, but the hunger and thirst of their child could not be endured. So they resumed their march. Swimming through those waves of fire, they arrived before evening at an inn. Mahindra had cherished a great hope that on reaching the inn, he would be able to give cool water to his wife and child to drink and food to save their lives. But he met with a great disappointment. There was not a man in the inn. Big rooms were lying empty. The men had all fled. Mohindra, after looking about the place, made his wife and daughter lie down in one of the rooms. He began to call from outside in a loud voice, but got no answer. Then Mohindra said to Kalyani, 
Will you have a little courage and stay here alone? If there is a cow to be found in this region, may Shri Krishna have pity on us and I shall bring you some milk. He took in his hand one of the many earthen water jars lying about and went out. Mohindra departed. Left alone with no one near her but a little girl, Kalyani in that solitary and unpeopled place, in that almost pitch dark cottage, began to study closely every side. Great fear was upon her. No one anywhere, no sound of human existence to be heard, only the howling of the dogs and jackals. She regretted letting her husband go. Hunger and thirst might after all have been born a little longer. She thought of shutting all the doors and sitting in the security of the closed house, but not a single door had either panel or bolt. As she was thus gazing in every direction, suddenly something in the doorway that faced her caught her eye. Something like a shadow. It seemed to her to have the shape of a man and yet not to be human. Something utterly dried up and withered, something like a very black, naked and terrifying human shape had come and was standing at the door. After a little while, the shadow seemed to lift a hand. With a long withered finger of a long withered hand, all skin and bone, it seemed to make a motion of summons to someone outside. Kalyani's heart dried up in her with fear. Then, just such another shadow, withered, black, tall, naked, came and stood by the side of the first. Then another came, and yet another came. Many came. Slowly, noiselessly, they began to enter the room. The room with its almost blind darkness grew dreadful. All these corpse-like figures gathered around Kalyani and her daughter. Kalyani almost swooned away. Then the black withered men seized and lifted up the woman and the girl, carried them out of the house and entered into a jungle across the open fields. A few minutes afterward, Mahindra arrived with the milk in the water jar. He found the whole place empty. Hither and thither he searched, often called aloud his daughter's name and at last even his wife's. There was no answer. He could find no trace of his wife and child. Thanks for listening to the first episode of Anandamat, written by Bankim Chandra Chatterjee, translated into English by Sri Aurobindo and Boring Ghosh, and read by Leela Krishna. Sign up at leela.substack.com. That's L-I-L-A dot S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com to get these episodes delivered straight to your inbox.